Welcome to the official Ronnie Landis Podcast Show, where you learn to upgrade the human experience through natural nutrition, lifestyle design, and consciousness engineering. This is no ordinary health or personal growth podcast, and Ronnie Landis is definitely no ordinary host. Ronnie Landis is an integrative nutritionist, transformation coach, and human behavioral specialist. He brings on some of the world's leading thought leaders to deliver to you the most cutting-edge information and unique perspectives so you can create the life of your dreams. Get ready to receive your upgrade in all you believed was possible, starting now. Hey, everyone. Ronnie Landis here. Welcome to another amazing interview with another amazing guest. And we have quite the show lined up for you today. And today is episode 100. I am so excited for this. So much has gone into this show, this podcast, to get to interview 100. And it's been about a year and a couple months since I started this journey. I've been going strong ever since. And it's just been an amazing ride. It's been such an amazing ride. And we have the perfect interview lined up to celebrate episode 100. And before we dive into that, what I would love from everybody that's listening, that's got tons of value out of this podcast, is if you could go to our iTunes page right now and leave a quick review. Give us some feedback. If you really love the show, give us a five-star review because every review boosts our ratings in the iTunes page up a notch, and it gets the show out to more people all around the world. And my goal for this show is to reach hundreds of thousands and eventually millions of years, ears worldwide. So really appreciate that. You can go on your iPhone and go to your podcast app right now. Look up the Holistic Health and Human Potential show with Ronnie Landis, or you can go to your iTunes app on your computer and uh, submit that review. I would really appreciate that. And so today's episode is with a dear friend of mine who is an amazing, amazing teacher. Her name is Miriam Elise, and she does work specializing in Taoist-based Tantra, sexual healing, and really healing of all kinds. And this episode went in a number of different directions. She very vulnerably shared the backstory of her life, which led her into the work that she is doing now and all the people around the world that she is helping heal wounds and traumas and and repressions in their physical body, the emotional stagnations that build up in the body and the tissues that have to be released. And unfortunately, so many people in the world go through life without ever releasing the traumas and the sexual repressions and and traumatic experiences that are crystallized in their body tissues. And that's a lot of what we talk about today. We also talk about sexual potency being a source of our life force energy and how to conserve our sexual energy as a way to increase health, a way to increase life force, and a way to express our creativity and come more in alignment with our life's purpose. So I think you're going to really, really enjoy this episode. It is absolutely worthy of episode 100. And uh, without further ado, enjoy this conversation between me and Miriam Elise. Enjoy. Miriam Elise is a licensed acupuncturist and Tantra yoga practitioner specializing in women's health, fertility, and sensual embodiment. She helps women become more connected to their personal power and vitality by awakening the body's primal energy. She has been a certified yoga teacher since 2002, a massage therapist since 2006, and a licensed acupuncturist since 2012, obtaining her degree in traditional Chinese medicine and a master's degree in science. For the past four years, she has immersed herself in the studies of Tantra Yoga and has been leading group workshops and working with both individuals and couples. Today, she integrates her knowledge of acupuncture with Tantra Yoga for highly specialized body-mind healing. Welcome to the show. 
Thank you. Super excited to have you on. It's been a long time coming, as you know, since we first met. I don't even know how long ago in Encinitas, like four, five, six months ago with our mutual friend Amber Hartnell, who's also been on the show. Um, but I knew that when we first met and we really dropped in and connected deeply on the work that you're doing in the world, immediately I knew that I had to get you on the show. So I'm super excited that that time has finally come. Yeah, thank you. I remember that very well. Um, and I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, so your bio says a lot. Um, and there's a lot of awesome little nuggets that I want to dive into with you. But before we do that, I would love for you just to share with us a little bit about your origin story. Every single person has like a superhero origin story, how they came into being, how they came into the embodiment of the work and passion that they do in the world now. So I'm curious, what was like the catalyst or maybe even series of catalysts that led you into the work that you do? Hmm. I love that concept, the superhero origin story. Um, And mine comes from around middle school, uh, being in sixth grade, actually, and experiencing a lot of sexual harassment. And normally when a child experiences sexual harassment, it might be a week or a couple months or, you know, usually it doesn't, uh, it just spread for so long. It was like a three to four year period in school where I couldn't even walk down the hallway without boys making comments or laughing or paper airplanes flying at me when I was walking up to talk at class. And it totally took my, my confidence away. And it made me very ashamed of my body, of my femininity, of my sexuality. And it made me just want to hide. Um, and this happened because I was one of the first, I was one of the first girls to experiment with boys in sixth grade. I've always been a very sexual child. Um, just, you know, sexual, like all child, all children are, all children have this like natural, um, embodied wisdom that when you mature, when you go through, um, puberty, it becomes your sexual energy, Mm -hmm. but as children, it's just our embodied natural creative wisdom that's flowing through our body. And I had a lot of that growing up. And, um, so when this happened, I just shut all that down. I completely disconnected from my body. I disconnected from who I was. I stopped showing my personality. I stopped wanting to be seen and heard. I just wanted to hide. And what happened was in in eighth grade, we had a teacher, um, a guest speaker come to the school and teach our eighth grade class a simple 30-minute meditation exercise. And I remember it so clearly. It was a guided meditation. And he led us through this this vision of, you know, being on a beach and feeling the sand in our toes and hearing the sounds and smelling the air and what do you see and what do you feel and really tapping us into our senses and as a way to actually escape um, the mind and the body in the present moment. And I had such an incredible, profound experience with that. I just got transported to this other place. And it was the first time in my life that I felt like I could escape Um, my situation. And so I would go home literally every day after school, I would go home and lock the door to my room, sit in my room and meditate for, you know, five to 10 minutes. But it was enough time for me to feel like there was something beyond this, this pain that I was living in. Um, And it was more than just in school. You know, my, uh, I had a really difficult relationship with my older sister. My parents divorced when I was really young and there was just a lot of turbulence at home. And I didn't want to tell my family about what was happening in school because I was so ashamed about what I had done. That shame story just really kind of gripped me. Um, And discovering meditation definitely opened me up to my internal world and the, the concept that, that, you know, there's so much more available to us in any moment if we just listen and breathe and focus on our senses. Um, so that was a huge part of it. And then also when I was 15 years old, my mother noticed that I was really awkward in my body and 
and um, insecure. And so she started taking me to yoga classes. Mm. And I remember, I remember going to yoga with her and doing sun salutations. And the teacher came up to me and was like, you know, you have to, or however, however she said it in her namaste yoga terms, like when you fall <laughs> forward and in, in, uh, in, um, uh, when you fall forward to touch the ground, swan dive forward and have your arms float by your side like wings. Hmm. And it made me so uncomfortable to be in my body, to be graceful. I was afraid of what the people around me would think if they looked at me and saw me being mm. being graceful. Uh, and she had me look at my eyes in the mirror and you know float downwards. And I saw something in that moment. And I felt something in that moment that I never felt before. And it was this deep embodied feminine grace. Mm. And that the whole rest of that class, I, I carried that. And I remember walking out of the class feeling different. I felt like, I felt like I, I received my womanhood in that class. Like, and for the first time it was actually okay for me to be in my body and it was okay for me to to walk like a woman, to hold my head high. Mm. Um, and so a lot of my, the passion for what I do comes from my experience of how shut down I was when that energy of, of fluid movement, of femininity, of sensuality wasn't flowing through me. Um, I was so shut down. I was so afraid of my power. I was so afraid of being noticed. And once, once I had that again, it, it was like um, something completely opened and lifted off of me. And my passion is to bring that to more people. Mm. Okay, beautiful. I'm, I'm looking at a quote on your website that I think really connects this into an area that I think is super important. It's obviously part of your work you obviously embody this aspect very very well and so I just want to read this this quote that I see and, and uh, kind of translate into what that really means and how we can use this for our highest potential awakening your life force energy or sexual energy can connect you to your highest potential I use acupuncture alongside tantric energy cultivation practices to help revive the body to its natural state of wellness and vitality. Could you uh, elaborate on that a little bit, especially this part about life force energy and sexual energy and how that translates into our highest potential? Yeah, definitely. Um, well, and this is where it gets more into the um, the kind of hidden energy practices that have been practiced for thousands and thousands of years through mm. tantric practice, um, even Taoist practice before that, and ancient Egyptian practices. They would use um, the sexual energy that we all have in our body in order to wake up other aspects of our energy. So... On the chakra system, if you're familiar with the chakras, the lower levels of the chakra system are are your sec more sexual, more physical, more kind of primal centers. And the idea is that, um, you know, we have a limited amount of energy given to us. We have the energy we get from eating food. We have the energy we get from sleeping, you know, regeneration and breathing the air and then we have our sexual energy and it's said that our sexual energy is actually actually provides 80 percent of our life force energy so that um if you see it as a battery that you can recharge and a lot of a lot of what you're using to drive you through your daily life is your sexual energy you just don't mm -hmm. register that that's what it is and so you know building up this this fire um, down at the lower Dantian, the lower centers of your body, you're building up this fire and actually um, awakening this kind of dormant or sleeping potential that's also known as Kundalini um, in yogic terms. And when you can awaken that, instead of leaking your sexual energy downward, like a lot of people tend to do, just because we're, we haven't been trained otherwise, we tend to leak it out. We tend to, you know, men... Um, ejaculate too much. Mm. Um, you know, women 
wield all of this sensual and sexual power and don't know how to hold it and contain it. And when we learn how to hold it and contain it and actually lift it up energetically into our stomach, our solar plexus, our heart, our throat, our, our mind, um, you know, we, we can lift it up and it actually feels like this surge of electricity rushing mm -hmm. in your body. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing with cultivating that life force energy. We, we become um, captains of the ship, so to speak. We become like, we actually are uh, in control of this energy instead of letting it kind of control us. Yes. And when, when it controls us, we use it only for sex or only for procreation. It's kind of the, the base drive of our species to keep creating life. Mm -hmm. But if we want to be masters of it, then we can choose what we use it for. We can use it to write a proposal for, you know, this new job offer. We can use it to make, draw, draw a beautiful, you know, paint a beautiful masterpiece. We can use it to channel into music that we're playing, to dance, to connect with a dear friend or partner and just have the sexual energy flowing, but let it make our lives more vibrant mm. and more vivid and let us feel more alive. Does that make sense? Oh, of course. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's it's very clear that in our society that the basic memes that are embedded in people's minds, all of us, I mean, I know as a man, I'm only I'm only more recently taking this aspect much more seriously and, and really preserving and conserving my life force energy um, as a student of, of Taoism and Ayurveda and just basic, basic kind of um, energetics of the body, you know, this is something that I've been aware of for a long, long time, but we're kind of, we're sometimes we're in phases of our life where we are dominated by base desires and it just, there's a certain season that sometimes happens where for me, I've now come into the season of conservation, the season of taking this much more seriously, which I have to say has been a total liberation. It's been a liberation of my mind, of my spirit, of my emotional state, of my physical energy to not be dominated by, you know, by basic kind of primal desires that are very distracting uh, from, you know, creating things or actually having a deeper connection with my partner, um, as the case is now. So I want to, I want to expand upon this, this concept a little bit. So it goes a little bit deeper for people. And maybe the question to ask right now is how is it detrimental or how can it be detrimental if we don't cultivate our sexual life force energy? We don't have intention around that how can that um throw us off our highest potential that is a great question and so being as you mentioned i'm an acupuncturist and i've also studied this this tantric system a lot yes and it's really hard for me to not diagnose people when i meet them mm. like <laughs> it's really hard for me to to take someone for face value and not be like oh i see that you're I see that your chi is sunken in your third chakra and I, I see that your eyes look fixated. You have too much sexual energy in your eyes. You probably look mm. at pornography too much. Like I can tell, you know, and that's, that's something that's very, very common. And actually I, I would consider an epidemic in our culture, especially yes. with young men with these smartphones. They're everywhere. A kid could be riding the bus and looking at pornography. Yeah. It could be, you know, anything. It's just so available to us. And it really, really diminishes your potency as a lover, as a man. Um, mm -hmm. Literally, to actually can't get erections as easily or at all. Twenty-year-olds are having this problem. Yeah, porn-induced erectile uh, dysfunction, right? Yeah, it's it's really, really uh, uh, becoming a big deal, and I I believe that it's mostly due to um, the overabundance of pornography which is highly stimulating and highly addictive and you need more and more and more of it and of of you know more freaky and more extreme you know pornographic situations in order to get just the base level of arousal mm -hmm. that before just 
seeing a woman's ankles would give you, you know, just seeing like her dress on her leg (laughs) in the wind give you that same. And Mm -hmm. so it's taking us away from our, from our bodies and hyper intellectualizing sex, Mm -hmm. making it more of a a conceptual thing, a fantasy thing. Um, And uh, that, that's detrimental for relationships and just for having good sex period. Yeah. Um, but on, on a more physical level, you know, something that I said in that quote that you mentioned off my website is um, uh, uh, connect you to your highest potential. Um, sexual energy can connect you to your highest potential. And some people don't have that desire yet. You know, some people aren't aren't there yet. They don't they don't know that they want that. They're still kind of you know, in the day-to-day, getting by, living in this mainstream reality, which is fine. I have zero judgment on those people. But you will see by the age of 40, definitely by the age of 50, these people will start to decay a lot quicker. Mm. Uh, you'll see it in, you know, physical, their their physical body will start to wither more quickly. Their chi, their energy in their eyes, you'll see a, a gray, a gray, or even kind of a deadened glaze over their eyes. Uh, their breath will be more shallow. You know, there's just there's just certain signs that you can tell when somebody hasn't put energy into cultivating their mm-hmm. own life force um, during their lifetime. Mm-hmm. But for those for those who have who do put this energy into um, cultivating this, you can you can feel it when you're within ten feet of them. You know, this person's aura, so to speak, this person's energy field is vibrant and alive. And it feels like it feels like like just fertile and full of growth and expansion. Mm. And those it actually cultivates um, magnetism. So you're actually drawn to these people. You're like, they have something. What is it? I'm not sure, but they have something. And I want to be closer to that feeling that I feel when I'm around them. Um, and that alone can draw, you know, a partner to you. It can draw a new job situation, you know, a new way to make money, networking, collaborating with people because people see you and they recognize that you have something about you that most people don't have. Uh, and, you know, on an individual level, too, the way that you feel when you wake up in the morning, if you are drained and part of it, it's not just with sexual energy, you know, it's with the way that you breathe. Mm-hmm. It's it's with the way that you are present with your food when you eat. All of this is being present in your body, present with your senses, and it changes the way that you experience life, and it changes the way that energy flows through you. Yeah. Mm, that's a beautiful explanation. Uh, yeah, and it's so true. And I'm I want to I want to take that. And now connect that to this theme of pleasure being a form of medicine, like pleasure being medicinal. And so this this really, in my my opinion, my estimation, actually takes kind of the chakra kind of example and brings that energy, that sexual energy out of the root chakra and can start to bring it up towards the heart. Which is, I think, where the natural progression of it wants to wants to matriculate. Um, and in our society, we have a huge culture, a contradictory culture that, you know, like you said, with pornography, for example, and advertisements and hyper dopamine stimulation, that we have all these subliminal messages about pleasure. And yet there's also this underlining message about pleasure and shame. And there's like this dichotomy of conf- conflicting messages that people, I think, are, are battling up against or don't really understand. So I would really love to maybe explore a little bit of that when it comes to sexuality um, and the shame around it in our in the enculturation, and then how can how can pleasure actually be used as a medicine? Yeah, those are also great questions. Um, well, the name of my business, pleasure as medicine, um, 
it's first of all, it's an incredible concept because a lot of people have been taught, especially people who grew up with religion, that Mm -hmm. medicine is supposed to taste bad (laughs) or (laughs) anything healing, anything, anything holy, anything healing is going to hurt. And the way that we show our the way that we show our, our, you know, reverence to God, so to speak, or whatever it is you believe in Mm -hmm. is through suffering. Um, And it's. And also that that suffering, you know, in illness or disease, it's kind of we see it as this this fire we have to walk through in order to in order to heal, in order to become better people. We have to endure the suffering. And to a large extent, that is true. I mean, suffering is a part of life, Mm. but suffering and balance need I mean, suffering and pleasure need to be in balance in order to have a balanced and whole experience of life. And with pleasure, there's something different than happens um, when you experience pleasure and when you allow yourself to experience pleasure. For women, it helps us learn to surrender. Um, and that's especially in our culture that's more masculine dominated. A lot of us women um, forget how to receive and how to surrender. And the only way that we can experience pleasure is if you surrender to it, if you surrender to the moment, surrender to your breath, let the let the mind go and really feel what there is for you to feel and in that slowing down in that surrendering that happens then your body can take care of itself your body knows what to do to heal itself just like with acupuncture you know when the needles go in it flips the the body into a parasympathetic state which is the rest and digest state and this is a state you go in you go into when you're sleeping and when you're dig- digesting food and this is also when, you know, your hair grows and this is when your your wounds are healed, when, you know, your skin um, heals where there's cuts. And that's because the only place that you can heal is when your body isn't in um, fight or flight, when you're not in go mode. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's resting into this deep um, being in that deep pleasure state and And pleasure can be a lot of different things also. It doesn't have to be physical sensation. It can be a deep breath. Um, Just the pleasure of being embodied in your senses, being in the physical body and taking that that time to really experience um, sensation. Um, That alone is healing. And and it's it's really like Mm -hmm. tapping into our body's innate ability to do it on our own. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've had experiences of just like, you know, like something as simple as a belly laugh, you know, like where we can be taking life so seriously. We have like addictions to seriousness and one incredible laugh cracks that shield and all of a sudden you feel this catharsis happen like and it's very healing like and it's a pleasurable act. It's like I feel in my life I um, I have had cracks to my my shield where you know i i realized that i had a pleasure threshold and i think that's a that's a pretty common thing right like people have a threshold to how much pleasure they can take where it almost becomes like uncomfortable completely completely and that's in one way you could see that as the glass ceiling effect Mm. you know the upper limiting um and with that you know within practices that we do tantric practices like even the breathwork practices breathing and filling your body with oxygen to such such a state that you are vibrating so high you know Mm. um it feels really uncomfortable for the nervous system at first because the nervous system is used to conducting a lower level of electricity through it and things like breathwork and pleasure intense pleasure um, bring up this level of energy that's running through us and it can feel really uncomfortable. That's actually the reason why oftentimes people are, are ticklish, you know, when, mm-hmm. when you touch mm-hmm. their, you really mm-hmm. lightly graze their inner arm or their neck. Some people react with, with a kind of ticklish reaction. And that's because um, there's a nervous tension resting on the surface of the skin and a resistance to surrendering to the sensation. Mm. 
And so when we can breathe into your belly, like you're saying, the belly laughter, breathing into the belly to receive more of what's available to you, then the nervous system can learn how to hold a larger charge of this energy, you know, whether it's pleasure energy or breath energy or whatever. Um, and through that, you can reach higher and higher states of of consciousness. Um, if you want to get spiritual about things, which I usually want to get spiritual about things, mm-hmm. we, we yeah. can, you know, feel feel more light inside of ourselves. It's like that feeling of light and love and and um, spaciousness within each of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is good. <clears throat> How did in- um, and- go ahead? No, there was another part of the question. I think you were talking about. You were asking about shame. Yes, yes. pleasure and shame. Yeah, it's actually perfect yeah. that you just you just circled back because I was going to ask about pleasure and self love. So I would love to kind of talk about the shame pieces that is that I think those are two sides of the, of the same coin. Definitely. Um, and shame I've noticed is a really difficult word for a lot of people. Mm. Um, I've noticed when I first, when somebody first asked me, like, if I had shame, I immediately was like, no. <laughs> it's like I had, I had shame around feeling shame. Mm. Like, what do you mean? And it's such a deep thing. And for a lot of people, a lot of my clients that I've spoken to have a hard time even conceptualizing what is shame because I feel like it's such a subconscious reaction that happens. Um, But it's really deeply ingrained in us usually when we're children and very, very commonly around uh, sexuality when an adult says even something as benign as, you know, we don't touch ourselves there or, you know. You know, like don't don't touch your friend like that, or don't touch yourself like that, or even if it's just a gentle thing an adult is saying, it go it drives deep into the psyche of the child and says, "Oh, this is wrong. Mm-hmm. If I do this, I'm naughty. Why does it feel so good if it's so bad?" And you know, and that kind of confusion starts at a young age, and a lot of times the child will continue to do it and know that their parents said there's something wrong about it. So that develops this guilt around pleasure. Yeah. Um, so it's this, it's this culturally imposed shadow on sexuality. Um, and the reason, the reason the shadow is there, I believe is because sexuality is such powerful force. It's, uh-huh. um, it's the most powerful drive that humans have. You know, we, we have a drive to sleep. We have a drive to eat food. And actually, the sexual drive is more powerful. Like, how many times have you chosen sex over sleep? Or <laughs> chosen sex <laughs> over... <laughs> like, yeah, uh, quite it's... a few. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, I mean, it makes life better, but it's such it's such a powerful drive. And there's so much ecstasy and pleasure associated with it that it's just like, it's one of the highest states that we can reach. Mm. Being in these human bodies is the orgasmic state. Mm. And... And that's something else we can talk about later, maybe, if we remember, is the difference between, you know, sexual pleasure and just existing in a state of orgasm. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Very different. And even the word orgasm is thought of as climax, as, you know, for men, ejaculation, for women, the climax, um, or ejaculation, depending. Uh, but it's so much more than that. Um, and that actually is where the the feeling of pleasure and the feeling of of desire come from being led to that orgasmic state. Um, yeah, and the shame around that is is because of its immense power, you know, because human beings aren't aren't trusted with power. We aren't taught how to hold our power. And so most of us don't trust ourselves with our power. We don't trust each other with power. Um, And, you know, because sexual energy is so innately magnetic, it has a lot of power, a lot of charge associated with it. And it's really easy to, to be manipulated or to manipulate using that energy. Because even if something is wrong, it feels good. And that scrambles the brain, (laughs) you know, like even if, for, you know, for, 
for a man, like say a, a rapist, even though rape is wrong, it feels good. So that they become, they internalize themselves as this demon, you know, demonize this, this sexual feeling. Um, and, and there's, there's a way to hold desire. There's a way to hold pleasure with such reverence and such, um, respect and self-respect. And that's where the self-love comes in is knowing how to hold strong boundaries and within those strong boundaries, letting yourself go completely free, feel completely free to experience, you know, the joy, the pleasure that's available for you within these really strong boundaries. And those boundaries are set up by morals. You know, if you're in a relationship, a monogamous relationship and you have certain agreements, then you can still feel your full sexual potential. You can still be, led by your desires and follow your pleasures within the construct of these boundaries. Mm -hmm. And I think if you're truly living from your heart, if your sexual energy is, is seated in your heart, then you're going to, you're going to feel free in that. You know, if your sexual energy is seated in your, your root or second chakra, um, your sec, your sexual organs and, you know, the base of your spine, that area then you're going to feel more constricted by it because your sexual energy is run by more of an animal primal instinct. If that makes sense. It totally. It makes perfect sense. Mm. And so from the, from the place of shame and the, and the, the kind of escalation up the, up the scale, how can somebody, if somebody, let's say for example, somebody like you had mentioned, somebody does have, some areas of improvement around shame and, and has internalized that in regards to their sexuality or anything else in, in regards to their pleasure. How can, what are some, some areas that people can start to transmute that into a healthy version of self-love? Yeah. Um, I was actually just speaking on the phone for about an hour and a half. I had um, someone reach out who was uh, molested as a child and had made a blood oath with her best friend not to speak to anybody about this. Mm. And and she had kept this a secret. She's now, a, you know, in her 40s, a mother of two children, teenagers, has a husband and has not said anything about what happened to her as a child. And she was asking me, you know, how she was asking me, how can I how can I help teach my daughter um, how to be with her sexual energy in a way that doesn't shame her? She's like, she said, because everything that I've taught her is coming from my own shame from being molested as a child. And I, I'm, I'm so afraid of that happening to my daughter that I say, cover yourself up. Don't let anyone touch you. Don't touch yourself. Don't be sexual. Don't be seen. Don't show your body. And she's, she was afraid that she had kind of a, uh, transmitted her shame onto her daughter and she she asked me where do I start with my daughter how do I start to introduce her to having a healthy relationship to her bodies and to her sensual body meaning her body that incorporates all of her senses and I told her to go to yoga <laughs> <laughs> because that's what works for me and especially at that age um, learning how to accept the body as it is and to lean into areas of physical discomfort and find strength in places that were previously weak and learning how to in yoga sometimes oftentimes they'll mention like in a deep stretch say you're doing pigeon pose and you're deeply stretching and opening your hips they'll say breathe into your hip and the concept of breathing into your hip for most people is so foreign that it's like, it can be like a, a breakthrough, like, oh my God, I can think about my hip, breathe deeply into my, into my chest and imagine that that breath is opening and expanding my hip. And just learning how to have that type of relationship to your body, to your breath, with your mind really helps to change the guard, so to speak, on your pleasure, on your ability to receive pleasure, because you're using the mind to move your energy in your body. And, and getting in touch with the body's wisdom, learning to listen to subtle sensations, learning to breathe into your belly when you're trying to make a decision, instead of trying to figure it out with your head, you breathe into your belly and feeling 
-hmm. instead of trying to think it. You know, these are all things that help us get in touch with our sensuality, our senses. And the more that what I found is the more that we begin to trust our bodies, the less shame we feel around our bodies. Interesting. So in other words, if somebody is feeling a lot of charge, even has a lot of triggers around something and that may be being associated with shame or some, some other kind of kind of core wound, would you say that they are simply not as embodied as they could be? <clears throat> well, yeah. I mean, I think most of us aren't as embodied as we could be. Okay. Um, but especially relating to to sexuality, like, you know, if somebody has a charge or a core wound around sexuality, I've, I've had, you know, I've talked to women who have been married for 20 years and they still get triggered when their husband is on top of them because mm. maybe as a child they were forced to have sex and they, the, the, the weight of a man on top of them sends them into an anxiety response. Wow, yeah. And yeah, and you know, tears coming down, just it's your husband, he loves you, you're safe. Yeah, I know, but my body still reacts like this. And the way to undo that, the way to undo that shame is basically the reason why it's still there is because it's locked deep in, in your tissues. It's, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the response, the trauma is locked in you. And in order to undo it, you have to go all the way into the feeling. You have to go all the way into the pain, the memory, the, the, the emotion, the grief, the fear, and experience it, but choose to be in control in the experience. You choose to be empowered. Um, and there's many different ways to go about doing that. You can you know, work with a professional and help you relive that, or you can... Do it as a practice, you know, if you and your partner have, have some kind of practice you do together. It's it's something that you can actually go into and decide to be conscious about the way that you're reacting to your own um, your own trauma, basically. Mm -hmm. And over time, it's about rewiring, you know, rewiring those patterns, rewiring those, uh, those neural pathways that lead us to the same place. And that, that leads you to deeper levels of embodiment because you learn how to, how to relax and expand in places where you're otherwise um, contracted or tensed up, mm. you know. And it's that contraction that keeps us disembodied. It's that contraction, contraction that keeps us in that pain response because we're, our bodies are trying to protect from that happening again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. The, the, it's like the chemical the chemical imprints get translated into the nervous system and become a part of somebody's actual system unless they can be reprogrammed or discharged altogether. Um, they're just kind of like it's lingering in the system and the, the and um, certain things can trigger that that sympathetic response, that, that stress response and put somebody into a varying degree of uh, stress. And, so, and it sounds like um, although somebody can have that pattern come up a number of times, they may not know exactly how to how to navigate that or how to how to transform that. And that's so that sounds like something that a lot of people probably deal with. And, and I'm sure you see it a lot in your world. And a lot of people probably don't. They're just kind of confused or don't know what to do about it. So I'm curious is there any, and I know breath work and yoga and embodiment practices are a huge part of it. I'm curious if anything else comes up around, let's say, for example, somebody listening to this is going through um, that type of experience and they're looking for like maybe one or two or even three really <clears throat> practical tips that they can take um, to help to help kind of, uh, yeah, grow out of that, if you will. Hmm. So to, to help them grow out of what experience, out of experiencing well, whatever, the trauma? Yeah, whatever traumatic imprint that is, is, that is causing, you know, like the example that you gave of a, of a husband being on top of his wife, you know, like anything that is showing up like that related to 
a physical trauma. Um, and in this case, um, definitely like a sexual trauma, it sounds like is, is the context that we're kind of leaning into. Um, mm-hmm. it, yeah. Is there anything practical, practically speaking that somebody can take away that they can practice to, to, uh, yeah, to kind of like mitigate that effect or, or to completely transmute it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And, what I've so what I've found is many many times when somebody um, has this type of response or reaction, they also have a blockage around speaking their truth. Okay. Yeah. Uh, there's there's a there's a fear of of speaking up, and that oftentimes is driven in really deep in childhood by the person who who you know abuse them in the first place is saying, don't tell anybody. If you tell somebody, I'll punish you, you know, and then it, it develops into this fear of not only telling anybody about what happened as a child, but in, into their adult lives, um, telling people their truth, how they really feel about something, what they really want. Mm. And like, there's this deep fear of being rejected or being abandoned. And so, you know, if, if you're experiencing this and you're with a partner that loves you and that wants to have a healthy sexual relationship with you, it's so important that you develop that, that communication with your partner where you can tell them what's going on for you. Mm. Um, and a lot of, a lot of men, you know, a lot of partners of these people, um, I'm just using, I know that, that, uh, sexual abuse happens to men, a lot too, actually, more often than, than most people realize. But I'm using the instance of a, a heterosexual male-female partnership where the, the female has been abused because that's most of what I see. Um, you know, opening up the conversation and letting your partner know um, what happened, first of all, exposing exposing what had happened, exposing how you felt about it, exposing the story of your life, you know, being really vulnerable and transparent and, um, and how this sort of, you know, issue has manifested over your life and opening up the dialogue about it is a really, really great first step. Um, another thing is, you know, if it comes up, when it comes up to have your partner be able to be there with you and be present with you and breathe with you and slow down with you. Mm-hmm. And check in, you know, and if you're in the middle of a sexual act, doesn't mean he has to stop, doesn't mean he has to stop and let you cry in his arms, which can also be beautiful. But what I've found and what I've what I've been taught also is if you stop something and retract, you know, if if it becomes a pattern of, of the woman stopping um, having a panic attack and the man stopping what he's doing and, and kind of holding her that can actually, um, keep the trauma response active. Mm, okay. But if the man is willing to be there with her and stay inside of her mm. and, you know, slow down, really be with her, look her in her eyes, wow. um, fill it, fill that space with love and with safety and making sure she's okay. And allowing her to kind of say like, yes, this is okay. Let the, let her have her reaction. Let her experience her grief while you are lovingly with her inside of her. And let her tell herself a new story of what it is to have a man on top of her. Um, and, and also, you know, allowing her body to take in new information of, wow, I, it's okay for me to feel sadness. I don't have to feel ashamed of my grief. I don't have to feel ashamed of my trauma. It's okay. I, I will still be loved. I will still be desired. I can still experience pleasure, even though I have this, this trauma inside of me. It's okay. Mm. And eventually the trauma kind of can get overshadowed by the pleasure. Um, and the trauma even can help intensify the pleasure and make, it can turn into something that's really healthy because it it's, comes from um, self-knowledge self-wisdom. Wow, this is getting really interesting <laughs> for me in particular. And I what came up for me as a man listening to this and just kind of like viscerally experiencing the picture that you're, you're, you're broadcasting, 
I I realized I got very I got this sense of like vulnerability in my body. Like I was like, wow, this is that that sounds like a very vulnerable space to be in, not just for the woman but for the man as well. Um, yeah, and that's an experience like sexually as a man that that um, well as men I should say like. That is not a very common one, or it's not a commonly talked about one for sure. The this idea that, um, well, just I, I just basically what you said. I'm 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 basically what I'm saying is that I am relaying the fact that I feel what you're saying in my body, almost as if I'm partially having that experience and feeling the vulnerability around it, and it feels yeah. good, and it also feels uncomfortable, and. Um, but in a really good way, you know, like something like in a growth, growth spurt kind of way. It was just like, I'm just acknowledging like the level of vulnerability that something like that would, would take. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, not all men are cut out to be sexual healers, but I think most are, <laughs> mm. I think most, most people are healers innately. Okay. And I think, I mean, I, my personal feeling is that part of the responsibility of being a human and having sexual organs and using your sexual organs is to heal each other, mm. you know. Mm. Uh, and in this, in this, you know, situation that we're kind of that I was outlining with this, you know, scenario, um, the essence of it is allowing your love to be bigger than the pain. You know, opening your heart so wide and not just your heart, but your heart and your physical body and your sexuality, opening that so wide with love that it can hold and swallow the pain and the fear and the trauma. Mm. Mm. And once once that is able to happen, then it loses the trauma, loses its power because it, it can always fall back onto that love. And and if if you don't have a partner to do that with, then it falls back onto your self love. And how do and what does that look like if somebody has to fall back on their own self love? That I mean, for me, that looks like doing doing these tantric practices, doing these breathwork practices, um, doing your yoga. Like I'll, I'll use the example of yoga. You know, yoga is about well, for me, my experience of yoga is pushing into discomfort with deep calm and peace and continuing to expand even even if I'm sweating shaking struggling continuing to breathe into my belly continuing to take in more um more life more energy and a lot of it's about personal empowerment you know when you feel the strength of your own body when you feel the strength of your heart, you know, if it's in a personal partnership and, and say your partner can't hold you, what if your what if your partner isn't a sexual healer and they can't, they're not quite ready to be there for you the way that you need someone to be there in order to heal your, your sexual trauma. Um, your ability to trust yourself, your ability to um, allow yourself to experience discomfort and still stay in the center. I like to call it um, staying in the eye of the storm. So where it's like chaos and all sorts of crap can be swirling around, you know, at a thousand miles an hour around you. And no matter what's going on around you, you know who you are in your center. And you, you're always coming from that place of deep, deep self-love. And it's like a feeling of self-worthiness. Like, yes, mm -hmm. I am good enough to feel this pleasure. I deserve to feel this pleasure. I deserve to open my heart. Um, I am worthy of this person in front of me. And it, it comes back to just being able to hold, um, hold that personal strength and power with love in the eye of any storm. And then it's like, then you don't need, um, you don't need to be saved by anybody. Wow. If you can feel, if you can feel that power within yourself. Mm. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. I, f I feel like a lot of us at times are are using other people as a way to heal ourselves, and and it's it just seems natural in some ways when we connect vulnerably and intimately with someone. 
However, one of the, the, the very strong messages that I'm still integrating from my partner is this, this notion that neither one of us is actually there to, per, to quote unquote, heal each other. It doesn't mean that we don't participate in each other's healing, but it's not like it's our responsibility to, to feel like we are the one that is here to heal that person. It's, it's, it's an individual responsibility that each of us has to, to participate in our own healing. So when we come together, if something comes up, we can, we can hold space for each other, but we don't project or imprint it onto other, the other person as if they're the one to heal me. Right. That's the best thing you can do for yourself. <laughs> uh-huh. I mean, the, the ideal is to come into partnership whole. I've heard, right. I've said that myself. I've heard many people say that. And the reality of it is we're all works in progress. <laughs> and, you know, doing healing on yourself, doing personal empowerment work um, for women, a lot of times that that's around uh, sexuality, sexual feeling empowered with your pleasure and also empowering your voice. Those are two areas that, that most women tend to be, um, you know, disempowered or have less, um, less like self-acceptance around those things for various reasons. And that you can go really far with that. You can get, you know, really into your personal sensuality practices, your personal you know, vocalization practices, speaking truth, speaking radical honesty, getting really clear, feeling good about who you are and what you have to offer the world, like all those, all those pieces that can come with healing those two aspects of yourself. But there's nothing that compares to having a person, whether it's a partner or a best friend or a family member, but especially a partner because of how intimately you know each other. Mm -hmm. There's nothing that compares to the intensity of having somebody witness you in your power. Mm-hmm. Mm. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's literally the thing that comes up for me right now is I, as I, as I go into conclusion mode, I really don't want to conclude this because I feel like we're like scratching the surface of something that has so much depth and it's such a universal conversation because one thing that everybody can relate to is sexuality and, 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 developing a healthy relationship with ourself, with our partners, um, with our sense of sexuality and with our life force. And, and I'm just super grateful for you coming onto the show, sharing your wisdom, sharing your experience, sharing your, uh, your own vulnerability by sharing your background. And I would really love as a concluding note for you to share one insight that you feel is particularly relevant to this conversation that would uh, make an impact on our listeners? One insight. It could be two. (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. Yeah. Um, I think something that uh, that really drew me to uh, to work with you know sexual energy in the first place is um, it it comes from Carl Jung, like Jungian philosophy, Mm. and he would talk a lot about how in your darkest shadows is where your greatest potential lies, Mm -hmm. and that couldn't be more true for sexuality. Um, It being you know, related to a dark shadow because it's a place where a lot of us haven't um, focused. It's a place where a lot of us have repression and fear and traumas and um, kind of hidden, hidden potential. And, you know, Carl Jung talks a lot about, you know, um, where, where, where your hidden potential is, is where it's the most kind of compressed because it's been hiding for so long. It's, compressed and waiting there. And once you start to shine a light on that, it lights up everything else about who you are. Mm. It lights up your whole life. It lights lights up your, your physical body, your intellectual mind, your relationships, your, your passion for your job, like everything else comes alive more. 
And most people don't understand that their sexual energy is such a key um, to kind of lighting up their whole life because of that concept. Mm-hmm. Well, so being able to actually go into our deepest shadows, our deepest fears as a way to excavate our greatest gifts. Yeah. And, and also, you know, with sexual energy specifically, like understanding how much power that holds and how innate that drive is in us. And if there's, if there's stuck energy around there, it's, it's really affecting the way that we're living. Um, you know, and that, that is our gifts, um, can come alive more. Our genius can come alive more with allowing this energy to be just a natural part of who we are. Um, it's, it's our charisma, you know, it's our Napoleon Hill talks about that in his book. Mm -hmm. Uh, one of the last chapters in his book, I think it's the the think and grow rich. Yeah. It's think and grow rich. Yeah. I know that chapter. Yeah. He talks about, yeah, he talks about how many, many, many of the the masses were known to be uh, highly sexed individuals, which basically means that they had very powerful sex drives and had they were either promiscuous or had many lovers or just were known for their sex drives. And the difference between these people and the average, you know, horny boy or whatever, or like the average, the average person with how to use that sexual energy for different things. Mm-hmm. Um, learned how to how to choose. Maybe maybe it's you know as easy as choosing not to um, release during sex, or if you have a sexual thought or sexual urge, choosing instead to go and work on your invention uh, and channel that energy into whatever's in front of you, mm-hmm. and that transforms it from sexual desire into passion and lust for life. Yes. Mm. Love it. Beautiful place to to punctuate for for all of us. I'm definitely going to listen to this a number of times. I got so much out of this and I really hope everyone listening does too. I want to thank you again. And where can everybody reach you, your work, um, any programs that you may be offering? I know that you do sensual embodiment coaching, which... I, t- I told you that me and my my lady are very interested in uh, working with you, and uh, that sounds really exciting to me. So I'm, I'm definitely interested in exploring that. But for everybody else out there that's opening up to this, where can they reach you and your work? Thank you for asking. Um, I have a website. It's miriamelise.com. And you can read more about, you know, my personal bio and the services that I offer. Um, and the main things that I offer online, um, because I imagine that a lot of the listeners aren't going to be local to the Southern California area. The main things I offer online are a 21-day program, uh, a 21-day sensual embodiment program that has, you know, practices. It's, it's an intensive practice-filled program um, with meditations and tools and techniques every day to help you um, move through your own energy blockages. And it, you know, it it has their Skype sessions involved with it. And it's something that I created based off of uh, the tantric system of of Mm self-healing. And it's it's an amazing thing to go through. I've, I've gone through it, I think, twice at this point. And every time I go through it, I learn more about myself, about my body, about my um, where I'm I'm uh, lacking energy, where I hold too much energy. So that's one thing that I, I've been doing a lot of. And uh, I do couples tantra sessions also in person, um, women's tantra sessions in person. And usually that's a series of four sessions um, focused on helping you kind of overcome blockages and feel this life force energy that we've been talking about in this session, feeling that in your body and awakening places that you've been numbed and helping kind of reverse the shame cycle. Mm. Mm. 
Beautiful. And all that information will be in the show notes of this episode or the website, depending on how people found it. So awesome. Thank you so much for joining me. And it was just really a pleasure to connect with you and go deep with you on this interview. Thank you so much for having me. I felt like we were we were chatting the whole time. We we're just letting our <laughs> we're having a meeting of minds, getting excited off of each other's questions and ideas. I love that. Thank you. Yeah, totally. All right. Thank you, everyone out there, for tuning into another episode of the Holistic Health and Human Potential Show. I am your host, Ronnie Landis. This has been another incredible, groundbreaking, paradigm altering potentially reality shattering in the best way possible episode. I thank you for joining us and we will tune in with you on the next episode.